Father, we come and just offer you our bodies a living sacrifice. We just ask that, Father, you would glorify all that we do and all that we say. That, God, your word would speak to each heart here, that it would penetrate our hearts. That, God, your Holy Spirit would be heard powerfully and mighty in each of our lives. And that, Father, we would understand as your word comes alive how it can change us, every part of us. God, we do proclaim that you are our cornerstone. You are our foundation. And we ask now for your Holy Spirit to have free reign here. God, you come and search our hearts right now. Do what you want to do in my life. Do what you want to do in the life of the body of this church. Father, as we seek you in your name, amen. You can be seated. We are coming to the end of our study in the book of 1 John. Uh, Not quite there, but almost there. A couple of weeks left. And it's easy when you get to the end of one of the letters in the Bible to kind of rush by to get to the end. uh, Because Paul, a lot of times in his letters, will do a big introduction and a uh, kind of big close. And so it's easy to kind of think, well, I just can go by this and it doesn't have anything pertinent to say. But John is just the opposite. John, from the moment he started this letter to the moment he closes, this letter, he has some incredibly powerful truths. And this morning, as we start the end here, the end part of this chapter, uh, we're going to find some truths that I think not only can help you in the new year, but can help you in your everyday lives. And I hope that you find that's true as you listen to the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 John. I hope you've been following along. Uh, It is written in your blue sheet there, but if you've got a Bible, turn to it so you can read it on your own and mark it as you need marked. And I think there's some truths there to be marked. Uh, As we've been doing all series during this uh, life-giving app series. If you have a smartphone, I ask you to take it out and uh, make sure it's on mute or vibrate or whatever it is. And then I want you to log into Facebook. Uh, like I've asked you to log into Facebook. Log into Facebook. Uh, check in at First Baptist Church. When you click check in, you should see First Baptist Church there. Uh, check in there. And uh, then tag somebody maybe else that's here at church with you. And then as your status, uh, I'm going to ask you to put the same status this morning. Uh, Everybody put the same status. Just put, you can count on me. Uh, You can count on me, and you'll discover what that means later. Uh, But just type that in as your status. And it's amazing the comments that we've gotten from people as they've seen Facebook and seen us type those things in. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you don't do it now, you can do it as you leave and get ready for small groups or you're heading home. Uh, But just log in for us. Uh, The other thing, if you've got your smartphone, I've noticed that most people with our smartphones, if you have a smartphone with apps, we all have apps on our smartphone that really are are more guilty pleasures than they are applications. Uh, They're the apps that you put on there that you thought, maybe I shouldn't put this on there because it'll spend too much time or it'll uh, take up my time. You put it on there anyway, and it's the app that you usually go to when you're waiting at the doctor's office or you're waiting for the car to get fixed or you're sitting in line waiting for the kids to get out of school. I call them uh, guilty apps or secret apps. Uh, You know what I'm talking about, things like candy. Candy Crush, uh, Minecraft for some of you, uh, maybe Instagram or Snapchat for some of you that are teens or younger. It's just, it's one of those apps that whenever you're bored, uh, you know, sitting in traffic at a red light, you can't stand not to open it up, even though that's against the law. Uh, But we just open those things up because it, it just consumes us. Well, this morning, I'm going to talk about something secret uh, that's much like those apps. I'm going to talk about secret sins. And uh, much like those secret apps, our secret sins are sins that we didn't intend to get involved in. We didn't intend to allow a place in our life. But before we know it, 
They are all of a sudden consuming us. They are all of a sudden consuming our time and energy. And, and more importantly, those secret sins rob our intimate relationship with Christ that we were called to have. So this morning, as we start out 2014, I, I'm going to talk about giving you some help, giving you some hope for overcoming secret sins in the new year. Now, uh, John has been reminding us all throughout his letter, and as he closes, he's trying to remind us that as he's talking to Christians, and as children of God, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we were saved. The purpose of our salvation, the purpose of us being redeemed in Christ was to restore man and woman back to the place they were before sin entered the world. You understand that? The purpose of salvation was to take you who, because of sin, has been corrupted and and redeem you back into the family of God. You see, every person in this room, when you were created, you were created to have fellowship with God. Not just fellowship as in passing as you walk down the road. Not just fellowship as in just uh, talking here and there. Intimate, personal fellowship. You were created in the garden. Adam and Eve, the Bible said, walked in the garden with God face to face. Can you imagine what that was like? That they were able to walk with him, not hiding anything, not, uh, not trying to hold anything back. That's where we get the word intimacy. It means completely open. They had an intimate walk with God. And then sin came along and sin corrupted that relationship. And because of sin, man could not have that type of relationship any longer. And so when Jesus Christ came, when God sent his son as a sacrifice, not only did he die to cover our sins, to bring forgiveness to you and I, he died so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be put back in the place we were created to be. So in God's eyes, we are now justified. That's the theological term. You have been placed in a place where you can now have an open relationship to God, an intimate relationship with God, where there is nothing between you and God any longer. Your sin has been covered. God no longer sees it. And so our job as Christians on this side of the relationship, and John calls it walking in the light. He's called a bunch of different things throughout this series. But our job is to pursue and experience and know God. That's our job. You say, well, I thought our job was, you know, feeding the poor and sharing the God. All of those things come out of our main job, knowing God, pursuing God experiencing God because you see God wants and desires an intimate relationship with you and so sanctification people use those terms sanctification is nothing more than you pursuing and experiencing God and as you get to know God more and as you get to experience God more what happens is you become more like him and as you become more like him you experience more about him it's like a circle And so as you are becoming more like Jesus, it happens as you get to know him, as you experience him. But here's the problem. Many in the church get it backwards. We decide that we want to be like Jesus or like what somebody told us Jesus is like or what somebody said we had to act like. And so we start putting on all these things and start doing all of these things. And we never take the time to get to know God, to experience God, to have an intimate relationship with God. And that is having a religious experience without a relationship. And you'll always be burned out. You'll always find yourself wandering away. Why? Because there's no foundation there. 
There's nothing there to hold you steady. And so what I want you to understand as I start this this morning, laying a foundation for you, is that God desires an intimate relationship with you, and your part is to pursue him with everything you have. And as you pursue him, all of those other things will come. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Didn't say seek ye first to look like a Christian or to feed the poor or to go out and do all of these other things. No, he said seek God. And so the first thing I want you to understand is if you are not pursuing an intimate relationship with God, then you will never become more like God. It's not something you can just put on. It's not like clothes. It happens from the inside out, working its way through you. See, sanctification, unfortunately for many of us, it's not just doing a bunch of stuff. It's not just getting busy. It's knowing and pursuing God. And the results of that is our life changes. Now, that didn't lose any of you. I'm kind of laying a foundation there. Everybody's still with me. Uh, you got that. Universal sign is yes. Okay. Baptist, we say amen. That means yes. Okay. You're, as long as you're with me. Now, turn to John if you're not there already. Because you see, what happened is, last week, John told us, he encouraged us, that the greatest way to experience that knowing God, that intimacy that we're supposed to have, that, that intimacy that we are called to, the, the, the walk that God is calling us to, John said the greatest way to have that relationship, to, to, to be in that relationship, is through prayer. And he expounds, if you go up above verse 16, 12, 13, 14, he talks about the power of prayer and the privilege of prayer and how we cannot have an intimate relationship if you don't have an active prayer life. If the only prayer that you do is before a meal, um, at night with your kids, and a quick one before you go to work in the morning and maybe here at church, you will never experience the intimacy. You can't get to know someone else in, in, in this fleshly world just by saying hi to them, just by walking out. But yet we expect to know God. You can't get to know someone. You can't get to know me by reading my biography. You can't get to know me by just seeing me on Sunday and walking in and out the door. The only way you can get to know me is to sit down and, and talk with me and experience and me you. And that's how intimacy is developed. And so John told us last week that the greatest avenue to intimacy is not just to get into the Word, but to talk to God and ask Him anything and lay out our hearts. And by that same token, He's going to continue and tell us that the greatest barrier to intimacy... If prayer is the greatest avenue, the greatest barrier, the greatest blockage to intimacy is sin. And this morning, we're not just going to talk about sin. As I said, I'm going to talk to you about a secret sin. So let me read to you from 1 John. Let's see what he says. Verse 16, same context of what we looked at last week. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. For I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. For there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. For all wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. For we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. For the one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We owe also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. That's the Holy Spirit, the word there, understanding. And that we are, know who is true, even the Son, Jesus Christ. For He is the true God and eternal life. 
Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Now we know as Christians, all of us in this room struggle with sin. Every one of us in this room has struggles with sin. We always will. Some are doing better than others, but in this fleshly world, as long as we have this fleshly body, you and I will struggle with sin. And sin destroys us. And sin eats away and corrupts us. But this morning, I want to talk about a special sin. And I call it secret sin. And that's not just my terminology. Other theologians have used that terminology. What that is describing is that one sin in all of our lives that we continue to struggle with when everything else seems to be going good. See, that secret sin is that one sin that somehow when you've repented of everything else, even in repenting of it, instead of trying to remove it from your life, you've kind of taken it and tucked it back into a closet so that you have easy access to it if you ever need it. It's that one sin that when everything's going great in your life and God is blessing you and you're growing, all of a sudden it seems to creep up out of nowhere and grab a hold of you and begin to control you. It's that sin that we think nobody knows about. That sin that we think we've kind of got under control. We've kind of got it in a little box. We kind of can handle it. But in reality, we don't. It's that sin that for years many people have struggled with. And sometimes in people's lives, we don't even recognize it anymore as being sin. See, for some, we've rationalized it and we've justified it. That's just the way we are. That's just who we are. We can't help it. It's the way we were raised. And and we've allowed it to control us for so long, we don't even recognize it as being sin anymore. And when, when it comes out, we don't even recognize or hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us and convicting us that it's something that's wrong. All types of sins could be used. It could be lust or greed or envy or pride or anger or jealousy or unforgiveness, many others. But usually secret sins are one of the root sins that lead to sinful actions. And what happens to Christians is for so long we have justified or rationalized that one little sin, made it okay that it's become a part of our character become a part of who we are and people around us just to excuse it because they think that's who we are and we excuse it ourselves but it's sin and it destroys us so many christians don't even recognize the secret sin that's in their life because they've allowed it to become a part of them i've seen people who who are struggling and, and have allowed gossip or envy or pride to take root and become a part of their life and they didn't even recognize that those things were controlling their decisions that those things were leading them to make decisions I've seen people that with good intentions and good people uh, under the the wrong circumstances allow gossip or pride to let them destroy someone else with their words. All under the guise of, uh, I just thought you should know, or uh, this is a prayer request. I've seen people that don't even recognize it. I I remember confronting someone in my last church that was a gossip and just was destroying people. And and their response was, I don't gossip. I'm just concerned. I just think people should know. They didn't realize that that was destroying other people. Why? Because it was that one thing that they'd allowed to internalize and become a part of them. Because you resist the Holy Spirit so long, you don't hear it anymore. 
Now, I use the term secret sin, but in reality, it's not a secret because God knows about it. The Bible says God knows our hearts and he knows our intentions. And no matter where you hide it, tuck it under the bed, put it in the closet back somewhere, put it under the shelf, God knows where it is. And in reality, it's really not a secret to those that are closest to you. Because the Bible says your sins will find you out. It says that which is done in the dark will always be exposed in the light. You see, it may have become a part of your character, but those that love you, they see it and they hear it. And sadly, most of the time we just ignore it or we just excuse it. Secret sins that destroy I've seen unforgiveness that's gone on for so long in someone's character that it's turned to bitterness. And that bitterness is something you can't hide. I've seen people that have had sin in their life that any sin that goes undealt with, that you don't deal with, that you don't address, that you don't handle in your life, it doesn't just go away. You see, we think maybe it'll atrophy. If, if I ignore it, if I put it away and act like it's not going to bother me, it won't come back up. Sin always grows. You understand sin by its very nature wants control. And you may think you're in control of whatever it is. You may think that you have a handle on it, but the Bible says you don't. It has a handle on you. And if you don't gain some perspective, if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, it's going to begin to control you. And we have good news with what John said, because John, whether you saw it or not, gives us some great encouragement on how you can get a handle on that sin. See, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to recognize that you struggle with it. Some of you don't even know what it is because you hadn't asked God in a long time. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what it is. You say, I don't have a secret sin. Some of us don't. They're all out there, right? But most of us have that one little one that we struggle with. Ask God, God, show me what that is. You see, what John is trying to tell us is that you and I have a responsibility to deal with that sin that interferes with our relationship. And what did John say we're supposed to do? Did you see it? It came right out of the bat. It's easy to get lost when you read six or seven passages, but he jumped right in there. He said in the context of the passage, when we see as body of Christ other people sinning, when we hear about somebody else sinning, somebody struggling with sin, we are commanded to pray for them. Do you not see that in verse 16 and 17? He said, if you see somebody sin, pray for them. If you hear somebody struggling with sin, go and pray for them. Now, don't miss this. This is the foundation that we build everything else on. He didn't say, when you see somebody sin, go tell your small group or or go call a friend or, or go tell your spouse. He said, when you see somebody sinning, when you know of somebody that is sinning, get on your knees and start praying. And he didn't say that was the first thing you're supposed to do. He said it is the only thing that you're supposed to do. Now, I want you to hear me. This is where we struggle because when we hear about somebody sinning, when we see somebody sinning, usually one of three things that we want to do. The first thing we want to do is we want to gossip about it. Let's just be honest. It's hard for us to keep our tongues. We want to go and tell somebody else, do you know what so-and-so is doing? Usually we, we add we're spiritually concerned though, right? We don't just come out and say, hey, so-and-so's sinning, right? Listen, I got, I got to tell you something. Breaks my heart to tell you. Don't look at me spiritual. You've been there. I just wanted to call and tell you. I thought you need to know so-and-so was doing this again. It's not what John said. Do you know, listen, the side note. 
Do you know the only time that the body of Christ is supposed to talk about other Christians? The Bible says the only time we talk about other Christians in public, it has got to be uplifting and encouraging. It's Paul's words, that no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is uplifting and encouraging. Not just to the person you're talking about, to the person who's hearing. See, our first response is we want to gossip. We want to tell, but we don't call it gossip. We want to to get people to pray for them. But we we gossip. The second response is we want to confront them. We like to say, well, maybe I need, especially if it's in your family, right? If it's your kids or if it's your spouse or if it's a loved one, I need to confront them. Or coworker, I need to confront them. I need to go and tell them. Listen, it's not always the right thing to confront somebody. It may not be your place to confront somebody. Now, the Bible says there are limitations to confront somebody. There are correct ways, according to Matthew, to confront somebody with their sin. Just to give you those. First of all, you need to be in a relationship with them. If you're not in a relationship with them, it's not your place to confront somebody about their sin. You don't know them. You're not close to them. You just see them out there and you see somebody. It's not your place to go and hammer them over the head and tell them they're a sinner. You need to be in a relationship with them. The second thing, you need to go to them alone, just you and them, out of a spirit of love. Not out of a spirit of disappointment or discouragement or anger. See, that's what we do. We get on our spiritual high horse and we want to confront them and we want to say, I can't believe you did this. So disappointed in you. So angry at you. No. You go in the spirit of love and say, I'm just coming and sharing my heart. The only time that you need to go is you need to go when you've made sure you've prayed thoroughly through it and that God is going before you, that it's his timing and the Holy Spirit leads and the whole purpose of the conversation is redemption, not judgment. That's the only time you should go. But let me just be honest. Most of the time for you and I, God is not calling us to confront somebody about their sin. Now, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, what do you think? That opens up a door for you to be able to offer your opinion. And you need to be bold and speak. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, what, what do you think about this circumstance or this situation? That is an open door for you to say, I'm just going to share my heart. Now, you still share it in love, but you share your heart. I used to have a policy when I was a youth minister that uh, I would never talk to girls or boys, guys and girls, about their boyfriend or girlfriend unless they came and asked me. Okay, I had lots of opinions about the boys and girls they would bring and say, look, this is my boyfriend. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, praise the Lord, nice. But I'd never say anything. But if they came and asked me, hey, Rusty, what do you think about my boyfriend? We need to go sit down. I'd never volunteer parenting advice. It's not my place. Never volunteer advice about how somebody should handle a circumstance or a situation. It's not my place. But if somebody comes and sits down and says, Pastor, I'm stuck in this situation. What do you think I should do? Then I have a responsibility to love them and boldly speak the truth. That's why some of you teenagers, you're sitting around the cafeteria and you know you've got a friend that is in sin. In a relationship that is causing them to sin. It's not your place in the cafeteria table with everybody gathered around to say, Listen, don't you know you're living in sin? You wait. But if that girlfriend comes and asks you, what do you think about my relationship? You say, let's go sit over here where we can be alone. Because I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. And you just speak the truth in love with the purpose being redemption. Some people like to confront it. Some people like to gossip about it. The third is the way most of us deal with it when we see somebody sinning. We ignore it. 
not my business. I don't have anything to do with it. But listen, that's wrong. Because you see, if the body is sick and you don't address it, then it gets the whole body sick. Your finger has an infection and you don't deal with it, that infection will spread. So what do we do? Pray. Get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and call out to God on their behalf. Get on your knees and pray for that person specifically so that God can help them. Don't say you're going to pray for somebody unless you're really willing to say, I'm going to pray. I wonder what would happen if we talked half as much to God about somebody as we do other people about that person. How much God would change them and change us. Because see, listen, I've learned this. It's pretty tough to be judgmental, hypocritical, gossip, and talk about somebody when you've just been on your face pouring out your heart for them pretty tough when you've been praying for a long while for that person pouring out your heart to get up and go out and start being critical of them God said shut your mouth pray so how do we do that what does that look like people ask me all the time they say well uh, what do you spend the most time doing as pastor there's always jokes you know where you work on Monday and Wednesday what do you do the rest of the time Uh, honestly probably the thing I do more than anything else as a pastor is pray more than I prepare for sermons more than I visit more than I study more than I do things here around the church I pray why because in all those things I'm praying see when I'm working on my sermon when I'm preparing my sermon I'm praying Praying for those that might listen, that God would use it to speak to people. When I'm in the hospital visiting with people, counseling people, I'm praying for those people, praying for doctors. When I'm planning things, I'm praying for how God can use it to reach people. When I'm on Facebook, believe it or not, I'm praying. Facebook's the the best prayer list that you can get. Make a list. Start with the people in your small group. Start with the people in your Sunday school class. Make a list and start praying. Because see, here's good news. If God says we are supposed to pray for all of those that are struggling, guess what? See the person sitting beside you? Struggling with sin. See the person sitting in front of you? Struggling with sin. Person behind you? Struggling with sin. Person on the platform? Struggling with sin. Make a list and add liberally to it as God puts somebody on your heart. Let me just say this. As you are praying for other believers, as you're praying for the body of Christ, if God puts somebody on your heart, all of a sudden a name pops into your head, a face pops into your head. You know what that means? That means God's wanting you to pray for them right then. Drop what you're doing and pray for that person right then. What do you pray? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. You just start praying for them. Pray that they have strength. Pray that they're able to stand. Pray that they get victory. Pray that they can say no to sin. Pray that they can walk strong. Pray that they have a sensitive spirit. And as you're praying, guess what? The Holy Spirit will start leading you what to pray for them. And the next day as you pray for them, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will start leading you what to pray for them. And here's something that's really cool. Remember what we learned last week? John said, if we pray anything according to his will, God will answer it. Well, let me give you a little secret. It is God's will that we don't sin. 
So when you are praying for someone that is struggling with sin, not to sin, it is praying according to God's will. And God said, I will answer that. We're called to pray. Now, John throws something in here that as a pastor I'd love to run by, but I just I wanted to mention it real quick before I close uh, because it gets people all confused. He says, you're to pray for everybody that you see sinning except for someone that is sinning that leads to death. Says it four times in that little passage, and it's considered one of the hard passages of the Bible. Confuses everybody. A sin that leads to death. He says, if you are praying for someone and they are doing the sin that leads to death, don't pray for them. Now, you've got to understand, this, this passage is where the Catholic Church comes up with the idea of mortal sin and venial sin. Mortal sin being sins that are unforgiven. Now, we don't believe that because we believe that there's only one sin that is the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. The Bible says that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that using God's name in vain. That means telling God no when he has to come into your heart. That's the unpardonable sin because, you see, you can't apply the blood of God to cover your sin when you tell him no, you don't want him. That is a sin that leads to spiritual death. So people debate, is he talking this death, is he talking about spiritual death or is he talking about physical death? Well, all sin leads to spiritual death. All sin causes us to spiritually be separated from God. So he can't be talking about spiritual death. So apparently he's talking about physical death. What he's saying is there is sin that could lead to you physically dying. Now what is that sin? Well, the Bible gives us a couple examples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says some people came to the communion table unprepared. And they made a mockery of it. And the Bible says they died because of it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that there was a group of people that were destroying the church. And they died because of their actions. Remember in Acts, Anias and Sapphira who came to church with their offering... Just told everybody it was a much bigger offering than what it really was. And the Bible says as they planted that offering and they turned around and acted like it was a huge offering, God struck them dead instantly in the church. It wasn't because of the offering they brought. It was because of the pride they had in saying they had a bigger, not bigger offering than what they had. But the Bible is pretty clear that, that there is a place where sin can lead to physical death. Now, what is it? I don't know. It's not a specific sin. And that should give us pause. Some of the commentators say this. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, William Barclay say this. That it describes a person who is living in habitual sin and no longer repents and is celebrating their sin. Basically, it's somebody that gets to a place to where they don't care what you say. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't care what God says. They are still redeemed. They still were justified in heaven. But they turn their back on God and they are glorying in their sin. And James Boyce says what happens is God decides that it is better to take them out than to have them continue to diminish his name, his will, and his work. They're done. He knows that they're not going to repent, so he removes them. Now, that should give us a pause. But really what it should do, according to the context of this passage, is make us pray all the harder for people that we know that are in sin. Because we don't know. You may know somebody that's at that point. You may know somebody that has thumbed their nose at God and walked away and made a mockery of what God's done in their life. And they are living in sin and reveling in their sin. And unlike the prodigal son, they're not coming home. 
And they may be a prayer away from it being the sin unto death. So you may need to get on your knees and pray even more fervently for them. So what does all this have to do with your secret sin? All this stuff. Let let me tie it together. I'm going to end. I'm going to finish this next week. I knew going in I'm not going to get through with this. But I want to tie in the first point. How you can overcome victory. Stay with me. You'll see it all in a little bow here. If our command as the body of Christ is to pray for sinners, pray for others by name, specifically, people we know that are struggling with sin, people we know that we've seen sin, if we're to pour out our heart on their behalf, and you and I struggle with sin then we should be able to be confident knowing that all around us we have a great cloud of witnesses praying for you. So that when you face that secret sin in 2014, you're not doing it alone because the person beside you is lifting you up in prayer. And the person behind you is standing with you in prayer. And the person in front of you is going before you, plowing the ground, hedging protection so that you can make a stand this year. You see, what we need to understand is the greatest strength we can gather to overcome our secret sin and all of our sin in 2014 is to rely on the prayers of the body of Christ. That's what will get you through. That's what will strengthen you. That's what will lift you up. That's what will overcome the sins that you're struggling with. Draw strength. You see, you'll never be by yourself. The body is with you. The body is fighting. The body has your back. We are connected. We are strengthened one with another. That's why church is so important, to get connected to a body so that you can know specifically that, that somebody's not out there just saying, Lord, be with sinners. But they are specifically saying, Lord, be with Rusty today. He's struggling with this and this and this. Give him strength. Overcome. And then they go to the next person. Lord, be with Sid today. Give him strength in this situation. Undergird him. Give him the ability to say no and to walk in righteousness. And you know what happens? When you start praying, here's, here's the coolest thing about it. When you start praying for other Christians that are struggling in sin, when you're on your face and you're pouring out your heart for them, all of a sudden you will begin to feel the prayers of other people praying for you because the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you that it's a two-way street. See, you and I are called. We are commanded. Pray. And I can tell you as sure as I'm standing here, That during the most difficult, darkest days of my life, during days of struggle, days when I wanted to walk away from God, I could literally feel the prayers of people lifting me up, getting me up, getting me through, holding my arms. Church, we have a responsibility one to another. This year, you don't have to give in. 
You don't have to compromise. You don't have to get beat up or beat down. Sin has been defeated, and we have an incredible power source right next to you. The question is, will you commit to pray for them? Will you commit to pray? Will you let others know that they can count on you? That this week you're going to be lifting them up in prayer. John says, pray, 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 pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the power of your word. And God, I just ask that we would commit to praying for one another. Father, that we would commit to to stop gossiping and pulling down and destroying, but start getting on our knees and our face before you lifting each other up. Father, there's some here right now that are struggling, even in this new year. God, when I said secret sin, they knew exactly what I was talking about. It, it, it has beat them up every year. They, they feel like everything's going great, and then that just becomes a speed bump that throws them off. God, I pray that this year is the year they gain victory. This year is the year they walk away. This year is the year they stand in strength. Father, there are some struggling and they don't even know what that secret sin is. For so long they've ignored it. For so long they've made it a part of them. Father, break our hearts this morning and show us what it is that's keeping us from following you. Keeping us from intimacy. Keeping us from knowing you the way you know us. Let us run hard after you. God, we love you. Let us commit to pray. In your name, amen.